Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this week by Luminos. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host on the mission to Mars, Jason Snell. I'm not going to Mars, Stephen. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. I need to undo some paperwork then. <laughs> Good. Yeah, you totally don't uh, get to send me to Mars. Hmm. Hey, maybe you should review I, I your... Dis, I, I revoke I revoke all of your privileges as co-host. Should have really read what you signed when you joined Relay. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be hearing from my lawyer. <laughs> Who's your lawyer, too? Oh, no. Same guy. Uh, I'm ruined. So, so we're back, episode 31. Uh, we've got some, some news and some stories to talk about. We're going to get to Elon Musk and his Mars plan. But first, we have some pre-flight checklist items. Uh, the first one being <laughs> extremely inside baseball, yeah. but this week on Robot or Not, which is a podcast you do on The Incomparable with John Syracuse, in yes. which you quiz John if things are robots or not. Yeah, it is, it is if you haven't heard about it, and what is wrong with you if you haven't? It's a podcast that we've done 79 episodes of, all of which are like between... Two, two, well, between one and six minutes long, basically. Uh, very, very short podcast where I ask John if something is a robot or not, and he answers. And that's basically it. And sometimes he goes into some details of his reasoning. And the whole idea there is we are, we are, it's silly and ridiculous and a lot of fun. And, um, and this week we talked about uh, stuff from SpaceX. So it's a space-related robot or not. We talked about the SpaceX rockets and the, uh, the barges that they that they use and if those are robots or not i'm not going to spoil anything but i agree with john good oh i agree with john okay you agree with john well that's good most most people i think many people do although there is nothing funnier because just behind the curtain robot or not it's uh a little tongue-in-cheek it's a little sort of uh knowingly ridiculous uh taking taking this thing to extremes right um but uh, there's nothing funnier than people really getting bent out of shape when John says something they disagree with on Robot or yeah. Not. And John's policy on it, and I agree with this completely, is um, it's essentially we will not uh, litigate the rulings. <laughs> the, the rulings are all rulings are final. Um, you know, you can complain all you like. We're not going to explain ourselves further. You heard it. That was it. So if you'd like to know about whether the uh, SpaceX rockets that return themselves and land back on, on land are robots, and if the drone barges are, uh, are robots, you can listen to uh, a very interesting, actually, ruling from John about that on Robot or Not number 79 at theincomparable.com slash robot. So, uh, as we're recording this, Hurricane Matthew was last week affected uh, lots of people in the Caribbean and in the very southern eastern section of the United States. And, of course, that includes Kennedy Space Center. So, we've got a couple of links uh, in the show notes talking about the damage that was done. I think that the TLDR here is that it could have been way worse. Way worse, yeah. Um, but the storm sort of stayed out to sea a little bit more than was initially thought. And there doesn't seem to be any major damage at kennedy yeah it's funny they uh they were saying that this is one of the first times in like 50 years that they thought that they might get a direct hurricane strike on cape canaveral and it didn't happen um because that that hurricane just kind of kept paralleling the coast 
And so it did, you know, some people died and there was damage, but uh, in many ways, uh, that whole area was fortunate in that it didn't come ashore and uh, and just bear down on some portion of, of there. It sort of stayed off there. So there's still high winds, but it wasn't quite as bad for anybody in Florida and, and Georgia and, and, and South Carolina. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like the, I mean, the big worry is always the vehicle assembly building just because it's hugely massive. Like if you haven't seen it, I mean, it's hard to describe how big this thing is. You can see it from miles and miles away. But it and Complex 39 and anything active seems to be in good shape. There was some minor damage, like SpaceX had a little bit of damage to one of their processing facilities, but nothing at all that is serious, it seems like, which is good. Yeah, but the beach house where the astronauts like to hang out before they fly, that got uh, its roof torn off, looked like. Yeah, that's that's no good, but I'm, I'm sure they'll get it. That's fine. They'll get it going. It's fine. They blew a trailer blew over and stuff. But yeah, it's it's uh I was joking the while while this was going on that, you know, it could wash down all of the, you know, all the smoke damage from <laughs> the SpaceX thing, oh, man. right? Oh. That's... So but it's it's uh yeah. They it's great. The, the, that is our that is our number one launch facility for uh public and and uh commercial flights and it uh it was relatively unscathed, which is good. So the, some of this broke as we were wrapping up our recording last time, but I wanted to touch on it since we have covered the Falcon 9 failure that happened last month. There's a, a good interview with Gwen Shotwell, who is the SpaceX president, about about a bunch of things, but of course about their most recent failure. And it seems like at this point they are focusing on the helium system, which basically it's super cooled helium inside the liquid oxygen tank. And if that sounds familiar, uh, it's because that that was tangentially related to the failure back in uh, back last summer in June 2015, where that was a strut the helium tank was attached to. It failed and then set off a chain reaction. It doesn't seem to be the strut. In fact, there's a quote in here saying that you know we're not sure what it is. But we don't feel like it's the strut. We're really focusing on the tank itself, but they still don't know for sure. Um, what's happened if you look at some of the numbers i mean the the window of data they're looking at from the first anomaly to basically data stopped because the rocket was destroyed it's a very brief window and i can't imagine what it's like to comb through something um that complex in such a short window of time so it's still still not clear what happened there are things in this interview and some other statements spacex has made that they seem to hint that it's maybe not a, like a hardware issue, but a process failure of, mm. or, or some sort of procedural issue. And that if it is, they could fix that, you know, with just a change in action and not having to go back and like remanufacture parts or like test new components like they had to do last time. But they still haven't said for sure what's going on. So it's still up in the air. There's still no plan to return to flight because they have to figure out what this is. Yeah. See if it's an issue on other rockets, or if it was a one-off. Fix other rockets. Like it, there's a whole series of steps they have to go through, but they 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 haven't even taken step one yet, really. 
Yeah, so it's going to be it's going to be a while because you can't yeah you can't fix the problem until you know what it is. I think there there was a, a, a few stories about this, and I don't want to lend this too much credence because it's kind of ridiculous, and yet it's also sort of fascinating in terms of the thought process involved. That that um, we'll put a link into this pop- popular mechanic story about it, but it's like uh, SpaceX apparently wanted access to the rooftop of a building uh, that is uh, occupied by the uh, United Launch Alliance, one of their competitors, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they refused, and I think. They they ended up like they they allowed uh, a government investigator to come and look at it, but they it was you know maybe it's leaving no stone unturned, and and maybe uh, it's a little also a little bit of paranoia. But the suggestion here is that SpaceX possibly considered it uh, a, a possibility that somebody who is a sniper got on the top of that building and shot at the rocket. Which is seems completely ridiculous, um, but there it is that they like. I guess leave no stone unturned again. But that's uh, that's pretty strange. I read that article. And I was like, that seems a little nutty to me. But I guess if you don't know what happened, you've got to look at everything. Well, I, 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 what I took away from it more than anything else was not that there's this like shoot 'em up thing happening in terms of the competition between these uh, these companies, but that SpaceX is really um, baffled and trying to figure out what this could be, and that I, that was what I took of it is like they are really trying to figure out anything they can. They asked for people to send in if they took video before or during that uh, explosion uh, or photos that they wanted to get that stuff and add it to their list because they're trying to figure out by analyzing the sound, by analyzing the pictures, by analyzing the damage, what exactly went on here. And so when they're like seeing weird shadows on far off buildings and wondering if that could be something, then, um, that's uh that shows you the 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 where they're going i don't think it shows that they they like immediately thought that but like they're trying to come up with any wild idea they can because they just haven't figured out what what caused that and i thought i think that's interesting it also brings up a question of launch security i mean that is a pretty um that's it's also very far away but um that is a pretty secure facility in fact the only place you could do something like that would probably be from um, from on from some other facility inside the the space complex there, but uh, it's worth thinking about. Like if the, if these are fragile rockets, that one of the things you need is security because you don't want somebody making a target of them, whether on the pad or while they're uh, in flight. Yeah, I remember when with the Columbia disaster, there were if some very early reporting that day of you know was it shot out of the sky, which was quickly debunked just due to yeah. the the height and the speed they were moving but you've seen the internet people will believe anything (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) it's basically the backbone of the internet really (laughs) Uh Uh, but so it's um you know there's there's always that sort of thought that i guess runs through people's minds and i I don't blame spacex spacex for looking at everything but that seems a little far-fetched yeah, and if I was United Launch Alliance and I get a knock on my door that's like, "Hey, we're from SpaceX, your competitor. We'd we'd really like to search through your building because uh, we think you might have uh, shot at our rocket," I would be like, "Yeah, you can go get the the you can go get the law enforcement people. Yeah, if you like. yeah. they can they can search. We're not going to let you into our building. Right? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Weird. Weird story. Weird story. And and the and the the uh, again, I think the the real takeaway here is that they can't do. 
much until they figure out what this is and they're still trying to figure out what it is which is uh that's a tough one that it's this is not a clear like okay here's what it is here's how we fix it now we can go again it's they're still trying to figure out why this happened yep so we're going to talk about the interplanetary transport system amongst other things but first jason do you want to tell us about our sponsor Sure. This episode brought to you, as uh, so many episodes of Liftoff have been, by Luminos, which is an app that combines advanced astronomy features that's the most advanced on mobile, along with careful craftsmanship that you will find on fine iOS apps. If you're a serious astronomer and want to study the largest catalog of stars and deep space images on mobile, you can do that with Luminos. But even if you're a casual astronomy enthusiast like us, and you want to fly to a faraway comet, land on a moon, simulate a solar eclipse... All of those things are possible and uh, fun with Luminos. Meteor showers, satellites, telescope mount control, all sorts of stuff integrated in one single app. It's built on an advanced simulation engine that's been in the making for more than a decade. It's continually optimized for the latest and greatest features of the iPhone, the iPad, and the Apple Watch. And best of all, Luminos includes everything for a single price. There's no in-app purchase. There's no annoying ads. You buy it, you get it, you use it, you keep it, and it gets updates. It's pretty awesome. Wobbleworks, the makers of Luminos, continues its tradition of free feature updates with version 9.1, which has translucent terrain, multiple sky orientations, a model of Comet 67 P, a theoretical position for my favorite, Planet 9, and a whole lot more. You can get videos, screenshots, and more details about Luminos at wobbleworks.com and find them on the App Store. So uh, last week, as we talked about uh, multiple times, Elon Musk spoke at an event in Mexico at a big, but kind of like a big yeah. trade show, I guess, for space people. Yeah. Um, but he was the, the keynote speaker. Some of the some of the video I saw, like people like rushing into the room, jumping over each other, very... Uh, excited to see him i was gonna say it's a very very apple uh developer conference uh look there. yeah <laughs> wwdc for mars uh-huh so if you haven't i guess that would be another world that it would be a like solar system wide developer conference something like that mm. yeah so, so there'll, there'll be some links in the notes one to a uh kind of an animated video of how this would work from spacex we -hmm. have a video from lauren grush from the verge her sort of breakdown that evening of the news and some questions but we can walk kind of through how it works but i think the the headline here is that it's very flight and hardware based and it as we go through this description remember that like musk has said spacex is building the railroad and we're going to get to more of that in a minute but this is what he laid out is really about the vehicle and the the launch system needed, not so right. much about some other components that would be required to get to Mars alive. Right. How would we use rockets, which SpaceX is in the business of making, to take people to Mars? And that that sort of there's well yeah we'll get into it. There's a lot of like clouds with with question marks on the chart but, yeah. but that's the that's the big picture that, that that he's trying to get across it's just how would you do it in terms of building rockets and lofting things into space and then getting them to go to mars and he says this is how we would do it so this is a, a rocket that does not exist this is beyond the falcon heavy <laughs> yep. the code name for this rocket i'm not going to say it because we're a family friendly show but is uh, bfr it stands for big effing effing rocket um yep. Which I just really love. With a, <laughs> I don't imagine if this all works, that in two hundred years they'll say, "Well, you know what got us to Mars is the big effing rocket." Yeah. It's like, oh boy, it does describe it. <sighs> it is bigger and more powerful than the Saturn V. 
talking 42 Raptor engines, which is the motor that SpaceX is currently developing. They did a test fire of this a couple weeks ago. Right. Um, bigger, more powerful engine than the Merlin motor that they currently use, uh, and it's going to run on methane. And that's going to be important once we get to Mars and decide that we should come back. Right, right. And for just think again about this, 42 um, of these different uh, engines, 42 of them, I'm just going to say that again, and there's sort of a circular part on the outside, and then there's a, a part right on the inside of the of the circle that's the gimbaled part that sort of steers. So it's got kind of like the just blast you up part, and then it's got the, the sort of another segment of it that's the pointed in a direction to steer a little bit part. So that this would, wild. Yeah, it is. It is wild. That's going to be the adjective we keep coming back yeah. to. So it would launch with a, a crewed vehicle on top of it with your space colony building people, I guess. Um, yeah, spa- your, space pilgrims. Yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah, you're you're a a yeah a vehicle with people and stuff in it would launch on the top of it and again kind of waving a little hand wavy there but yet just suffice that they they're up there and uh you launch them into space with this big rocket and then you leave the crude spacecraft in orbit you land the booster on the same pad which in our notes is in all capital letters because i have many many questions about this Mm -hmm. like what happens if you have an accident? (laughs) What happens if you crash on landing and you blow up your booster and you blow up your launch site and you've just like left people out there in orbit? Because the idea here is to, to lift off from earth with enough space for all these people and enough fuel to get to Mars is really, really heavy. And as big as this rocket and this booster are going to be, it's still not enough. And so the, thought is you sticks people up in orbit in a spacecraft you land the booster you basically attach a giant fuel tank to the top of it you launch again you fill up the spacecraft's fuel tank you're actually going to do this like three to five times yeah and then you can go to mars so you are basically in a in a parked orbit uh filling up the gas tank yeah i uh this this is the part of this is the part they skip in the spacex video in the spacex video they say look and it comes down and then we fill it up and we take it back up and then it leaves it's like no but it actually does that like five times right to get that because you need all of your propellant to get to mars and you're doing this again landing at the pad that you take off from which is right. fine if you have 100 percent reliability but nothing has 100 percent reliability at some right. point something's going to go wrong and so do you have a second booster and a second launch site like Ready to I would go. think you have to. I think you have to. I would to. think you have to. Yeah. And that would also allow you to perhaps stagger them so that you've got, you know, this one comes back, but the next one goes, and then this one comes back. So that if one of them goes out of service, you still got the other, but you could also possibly launch them, um, you know, to, together, essentially, like staggered. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's, this is one of the challenges is, is it, uh, the fuel to get to Mars is heavy and you have to take it up there and then fire it and so in their proposal here they're gonna put they're gonna loft the people up there and then they're gonna go three to five more times with the fuel to get to mars and and uh the faster it goes uh so you get there faster you've got to have more fuel still you've got to burn the fuel to go faster and you've got to burn more fuel to break on the other side so every uh every day you cut off the journey is uh doubly (laughs) Uh, an increase in uh in the weight of the vehicle because of all the fuel 
So that's a tough one. So you you fill up the tank. Eventually, you end up uh, on your way to Mars. Musk threw around (laughs) some flight times here. And so we should back up a second. You can only launch to Mars really every 26 months because of the way the orbits work. We're lined up for a period of time where Mars is close to us. Yeah, Mars passes by us, and then it goes around, and 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 we're we're going faster. I mean, it's all based on your perspective. We pass by Mars. We pass by Mars because we're going faster. We're on the inside lap, so we pass by, and then it's still trailing behind us. So when we come back to where we were the last time, well, it's not there anymore. It's ahead of us now. So every couple of years, we are making that close pass by Mars. Earth just keeps on lapping Mars. It's way behind. So uh, you can only launch every couple of years. That's the launch window for Mars. So what he's saying is, you know, however much, like, however, and I don't have the numbers handy. I forgive me, but you know, it takes. Ex- it's okay. They're made up. It's true. Um, <laughs> but I think he ended up saying like maybe as little as like sixty days or thirty days to get to Mars, which is astronomically faster than it takes a spacecraft to make it to Mars now. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's, that's the that was one of those kind of outrageous claims, which I think is the. F- fuel five times idea that if you you can get people there a lot faster if you have a huge rocket in uh, that's got full of fuel mm-hmm. so that you can blast it and then you can flip it over and blast it again when you get to mars but uh that's uh, way way more velocity than than people really have been thinking about sending people to mars where they they think it's going to take many many months right because you have to get rid of all of that all of that energy. You have to get rid of all that speed. So coming in to land here on Earth, like, you know, you're a capsule and you're going to splash down in the ocean, you have an atmosphere to help slow you down. And right. and even then, we're still using parachutes. And, then, and like, if you land on um, ground, like the uh, Russians do, you're using, like, retro rockets to fire to slow down. Well, Mars, right. there's, there's so little atmosphere, you don't have any... It's not really doing much to slow you down. So you're looking at having to fire the engines again to slow you down, which they are playing with on the, the these Falcon 9s that are landing. You know, those things are coming down um, ignited. You know, that's why it's some of them, you know, have caught fire and whatnot, because they are they are lit as they land. And you would be doing this at supersonic speeds on Mars. And that is something that has not really been done before. But they say they can do it. Uh, you would land yeah. on Mars, and you would be you'd be there. And don't forget that you know when we talk about reentry on Earth, we're talking about reentry on Earth from an orbit around Earth. With the only exception being the Apollo missions that went uh, to the Moon and then came back to Earth. But even then, you're staying in the system. This uh, going to Mars, you have to kill your interplanetary velocity and then land. So it's a huge amount of fuel because you're going relative to Mars really fast at that point. And that's uh, that's part of the challenge of, of spending all that fuel. So it's a it's a tough one. I mean, and, and we haven't done most of our landings on Mars have involved, um, uh, you know, uh, vehicles that are relatively light. I guess I would say, and even then, a lot of them, especially the initial ones uh, of the of the rovers, they've tried clever things like. Uh, like uh, being inside an inflatable ball right. <laughs> in order to Bouncing. in order to do it, yeah. and we're getting way better at this stuff and having these vehicles be able to have powered landings. But it's a uh, it's a challenge with something that would have people in it because that's going to be vastly heavier than the probes that we land on Mars today. Yep. yep. So you would land on Mars, and the SpaceX little promo video, you know, the the doors open and everyone's in a helmet, and 
They're off to create a colony. And that's really where SpaceX story ends. Now they do say, hey, because we're we're using methane as fuel, you can make methane from carbon dioxide that's available on Mars. You can make fuel. I don't, I don't know how you do that. Um, I guess you're going to fly some equipment with you, and then the rocket can yeah. come back. Yeah, it's uh, fueling uh, on site, either using the atmosphere or using uh, stuff that you have in the in the ground on Mars, which right. is a good idea. I mean, that's that's generally part of all kind of Mars returns, or you don't bring all your fuel to return with you because that is again even more astronomical in terms of the the amount of fuel you'd have to bring. Right, but there's not much um, vision here as far as a plan. It's very much a this is what we would like to do. And SpaceX is, is should be important to know. And they have noted it in the recent uh, weeks after this announcement that they're not spending a ton of, of their budget or time on this yet. They are still primarily focused on the, the work at hand of launching satellites for people, getting commercial crew going here in a couple of years finally. They, they are going to send a, a Dragon capsule to Mars and then they want to in the next launch window – but they're not dropping their existing business to go off and build right, the right. Uh, the BFR. So it's it's like part vision, part product keynote. Like it's a very strange thing. Well, and, and and I think as you say in our notes, it seems kind of weird. Yeah, I don't. I did say that in my notes. It's it's um, it is kind of like a product keynote, but it's like for a product that doesn't exist. And this is the, that's the problem here. I have a lot of problems with this. I love the vision, right? I love that somebody's saying, look, we can do this. Here's how we get to Mars. The problem is, and we've talked about it before, Elon Musk overpromises and underdelivers. This is his problem. This is his his big flaw. And I love so much of what SpaceX does, but he 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 could stand to learn to underpromise and overdeliver a little bit. Everything he he announces ends up running late and shipping late. The SpaceX stuff is happening later than he said it would. The Tesla stuff is happening later than he said it would. It just keeps happening. And I love his enthusiasm, but you got, you got to restrain yourself a little bit. Um, I think he likes to set really tough deadlines as motivation for himself and for the people who work for him. But you, in terms of marketing, it ends up being a, a boy who cried wolf kind of situation where it becomes hard to believe anything he says to a certain point, especially about schedules because of this. So, you know, I like what it, what this says and like as a corporate vision of this is where we're going. We're going to keep making more powerful rockets and there are things we can do with them. We can send... We can send people to Mars and other parts of the solar system as we big the as we uh, build these powerful rockets. But to say it's sort of like this is how we're going to get to Mars in in, in ten years, in st- and, and we're going to have in forty years we're going to have a million people there, as opposed to saying here's how we're going to build the infrastructure so that people can explore the solar system because that's where we're going as our corporate strategy is we're going to keep building bigger rockets and and that will open the solar system to exploration and we'll see how that works and you know he I don't think he can do it I don't think he is capable of saying it that way I think he has to he has to make the grander gesture of saying yes we're going to do this and here's a timetable and we don't really know th- these details but it'll be fine 
which he said at several points, he's like, it's not so bad. It'll be fine. And uh, that's fine. I I did have that moment when he said, we've got, you know, other companies will come on board. It's not just going to be us. We're not committing our whole company to this. Where I I started asking myself, is there a like a gambit here where he figures like if they can show that they're further ahead on this stuff than NASA, that they will get they will end up getting kind of government money to to do this because this is a faster approach is that is he playing kind of a poker game with uh with nasa and that and its other contractors is he looking for other governments to invest in this or other companies there's a lot of question marks here when we get to that point because i'm not quite sure he he was leaving kind of implied that other people will 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 join him in this and that was a part that i thought was a little bit strange too because like you've got a timeline but you don't have the partners and yeah i i I wonder what what kind of game he's playing with with that part of it yeah it's it's interesting to compare that to what blue origin is doing with um, you know jeff bezos vision has been we're going to provide rockets and space infrastructure for entrepreneurs and the next generation of business to take place in space right like that's right that's been there right we we didn't mention by the way uh blue origin did a, a test of their uh little escape vehicle that uh which is for their their new glenn which is the or not the new glenn new shepherd which is the first generation it's their suborbital rocket but they did that so that the idea there is that if there's any problem with the with the the rocket you blast off the capsule and it lands on its own and that totally they did it and it worked so blue origin is taking a much more kind of careful incremental approach and talking about a vision of being like you said commercial opportunities in space start small let's let's improve access to space for for businesses to do interesting things in space and uh really restraining themselves from talking about these big visions of space colonization which elon musk just uh, eats that up Right. And, but I, I think Musk would like to say that these, the two companies' plans are really different from each other. But I think at this point, they're really not, where Musk is outlining a hardware strategy, but nothing about habitat or how you go from a, a launch vehicle to a colony, right? It seems like, like there's holes in that plan and, and maybe. <sighs> shocking right but and maybe the idea is like you said um hey if we can prove that we can do this vehicle then you know maybe nasa will want to use it uh maybe you know if sls continues to struggle maybe this becomes the 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 vehicle uh to get to mars but i don't know yeah i mean that that was my gut feeling my gut feeling was that this is like a shot across the the um nasa and and nasa's contractors and uh, I, mean, I mean, that's how Boeing, Boeing took it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and Boeing totally took it that way uh, because I, I, I felt like that was we're going to show that we can do this better than what NASA is working on because there are a lot of criticisms of uh, space launch system. And uh, I don't know. I, he, he didn't say it, but that was immediately what I read was if we can prove that we can do this and way faster than NASA, what's going to happen is uh, the government's going to look at this and say, why don't you just use those guys? And then we're going to get paid. And that's how it's going to happen. Right. And I mean, even today, uh, President Obama had a, I guess he wrote an op-ed. I don't really know what to call it, but he... Yeah, that's what it was like. It was like an op-ed on CNN.com. Very strange. Uh, Put it on Medium, man, like the rest of us. But uh, he wrote this thing basically opening the door for commercial partners to work on the Journey to Mars program, 
which is, right. has not been something that we've seen before. What we've seen so far at Journey to Mars is very much like, you know, Apollo or even the shuttle program where NASA is using contractors, right? They're not building all this stuff themselves, but they're, right. they're using contractors to get everything done. And, but it's all underneath like NASA's purview and they're, like, they're in charge. Right, as it's been with NASA forever, right, That where they have contractors that are working to NASA's specifications, but NASA's paying them, um, and, and it's a different relationship than with the commercial space where they're, you know, they're, they're doing their own investment and research, and then, and then uh, NASA's doing some funding, but it's a little, it's a little bit different. Um, but this was, yeah, Obama's statement was about commercial par- partners for uh, habitats for deep space, and, uh, and then the other thing that he threw out there was commercial access to the space station. Mm-hmm. which we haven't talked about but that w- that goes back to when we were talking about like the Bigelow inflatable modules and how they said they were going to build a bigger module and they hoped that they could put it on the on the space station instead of just sort of floating it on its own and it seems to open the door for that too so it's interesting right to open that door a little bit and say we're going to mention commercial partners in the context of the journey to Mars right and and he, and he even says um I mean he talks about habitats but sustaining and transporting astronauts it's right definitely seems like some like there's some story here that that may end up being a, a a more blended approach something like commercial crew which hasn't gone off the ground yet really um but taking that idea and applying it to other things but even if that's the case like there's still some pretty big criticisms of what Musk laid out right the the biggest one i think in my mind is how are people going to survive the trip or survive being on Mars? And again, Musk is saying, we're just the railroad. You know, you're going to, some other people are going to come along and solve this for us, right? Like we're going to build the rocket and someone else will <clears throat> come do life support or someone else will come do housing or someone else will come with a system to, you know, create and store water. But A, that may not be the case. That may not actually happen. Or right. two is has SpaceX is not there yet. And so they have nothing to share. I don't know. Right. Right. But it, it's a, it's a big, uh, it's a big question. I wanted to go back for a second. We were talking about commercial, uh, commercial versus the contractors. And, um, I don't think we mentioned it. We'll put a link in the show notes that, um, Boeing's response was very clear, right? Like there was a, there was a story, uh, that we'll link to from Bloomberg where the CEO of Boeing basically said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to be the first, our rocket is going to take the first people to Mars there. And that means space launch system and NASA. So, and, and it's sort of like, why, why that happen? It's like, that's because of Elon Musk. They're, they're basically saying, calling Elon Musk on it and saying, no, that's not going to, that's not going to happen. We're going to get there first, which is fascinating because that means the space race is between Elon Musk and NASA at this point. Makes it hard not to think of it as that what he's really doing is this, it's, it's a poker game and he's figuring that at some point that he's going to be so far ahead that they're going to have to deal him in. I think so. Which is, I just broke the poker metaphor there. The poker game, there's a poker game that he's not playing. He's playing a different poker game, poker games within poker games. Anyway, um, but I, I think it's pretty interesting that the CEO of Boeing like had to call out Elon Musk, basically, and say, no, no, that's not going to happen. We're going we're gonna to beat you with, with our, our rocket that we're building for NASA. It's all very strange. I, I wanted I, I put a link. You talked about one of the problems that Musk kind of like uh, hand waved away, which is uh, uh, keeping people safe in space in deep space. Because you know most of our, uh, with the exception of Apollo, our uh, 
our astronauts have all been inside sort of the protective shell of the Earth's magnetic fields. And so they haven't had to deal with the radiation, the hard radiation that's out in wider space. And I saw a story last week that we'll put in the show notes too, uh, about a new study that came out that, uh, that uh, people uh, that they tried to test on mice, what would happen with the conditions of radiation in, in deep space. And they basically said there's like severe uh, brain damage. <laughs> in what they're calling space brain. And there's some talk about how the Apollo astronauts may have had some lingering effects of being outside the Earth's magnetic field and that may have caused like heart problems and other things in the Apollo astronauts, but it's a very small co- cohort of of astronauts who went outside uh, of Earth's orbit. So uh, it's, uh, and Musk waved it away as like, it's not that bad and we'll figure it out. And I think maybe embedded in that is his suggestion that they're going to have three to five other vehicles going up there it's like if you're launching that much weight up there then you will be launching either with the spaceship or afterward with shielding that that you consider sufficient to keep those people safe but it is a serious question because we've got a new study that says uh if you don't take really good care to shield those astronauts from the radiation they're going to have brain damage at least which is bad and can you know and cancer risks and potential heart problems and all sorts of other things like that go with the hard radiation that you'd be bathing in out there if you're not shielded yeah it's that one i think jumped out at me because that is at least i think of it as like hardware related like if you're building a rocket and you're building a spacecraft that radiation protection is part of the spacecraft and he he sort of blew the question off and again maybe he doesn't have an answer yet yeah. but it's something that I mean, clearly if they're going to do this, they would need to address it, but they haven't yet, so it's a, it's another little red flag to be aware of. Yep, it it is another another thing. And I you know, going to Mars is incredibly complicated and I think um you know, we go back to where we started, which is with the railroad comment, the idea that that what he's really talking about here is how how do we get heavy stuff to Mars? And he's got a plan for that. And that is what SpaceX's job essentially is at this point, is building rockets and building engines and launching things into space. And so having that as a goal of like, we're going to be able to get things to Mars. And then sort of laying it out there for NASA or for partners or for SpaceX to say what those things are, the heavy things that we'll need to carry people and keep them alive and allow them to live on the surface of Mars. All of that um, is... is you know, it's details to be worked out later, and they're really complicated, but they're also kind of not what Musk is focused on. He's focused on step one, which is, can we get all of that, whatever it is, to Mars? And he's saying, yes, we can, and we have a plan for that, and that the rest of that stuff needs to happen later um, and be figured out by other people. But you can't, you can invent all the Mars habs you want, but if you can't get them to Mars, it doesn't matter. And so he's focused on the, on the can we get the stuff to Mars? And I think that's not, that's not bad, uh, other than the fact that what if he builds the railroad to Mars and nobody wants to, there's no, there are no trains to go on it. There's no stuff to take there because nobody is working with him on it. I, I, I think he must believe that if he can come up with a reliable way to send a lot of heavy stuff and people to Mars, that um, they will come. You know, if you build it, they will take a train to Mars. That's, I think, his strategy. But it's a... Uh... You know, and honestly, it, it it benefits him regardless, right? Because the more lifting capacity that SpaceX has, the uh, better it is for SpaceX. So on one on one level, the Mars thing is something he can point at because it's it's going in the general direction they already need to go with their business. Right. 
Um, oh, I wanted to mention one other thing, which is based on the Lauren Gresh video that you mentioned on The Verge, which is great. Because so this thing happened in Mexico and at this conference, and uh, Lauren Gresh does a great video. But I believe uh, Bill Nye shows up uh, from the Planetary Society, but you may know him as the Science Guy. I think he shows up in that video as well, expressing some skepticism. And uh, I think it was that video. It's one. It's one of the videos that I was looking at about this. And that anyway, it was a great. It was a great bit because not only is it like we found Bill Nye out by the pool. <laughs> wherever the hotel is in Mexico where they're they're having this but you know he expressed a lot of skepticism about it for a lot of these same reasons that you know he's he's planetary society wants people to explore the solar system I, I, they're not i think super excited about necessarily doing it with crewed missions versus a, a lot of uh, robot probes but um i think that kind of skepticism is useful when looking at this. It's really exciting stuff to think about people going to Mars, but there's a lot of question marks here and, and, and skepticism needs to be the order of the day. I think totally agree out of the pool with Bill Nye. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to see our links for this week, you can do that at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 31. While you're there, you can get in touch. There's an email link. There's a link to the show's Twitter account, which is at Liftoff Podcast. You can find Jason on Twitter at jsnell, and I am at ismh. Until next time, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. See you on Mars. Adios. (laughs) 